Goddag og velkommen til The Pipe, en række af podcasts, hvor Ogilvy sætter fokus på, hvad der skal til for at skabe brands, der gør en forskel, og hvordan brands når det mål. Mit navn er Katrine Vejby. Hvorfor er det blevet vigtigere end nogensinde før, at brands handler og ikke bare taler? Og hvad er et behavior brand? I denne podcast taler jeg med Susanne McTire og Jamie Preto, forfatterne bag Brands That Do, Building Behavior Brands. Vi hører, hvorfor de deler brands op i to, de brands, der tilhører den gamle verden, og dem, der formår at udvikle sig og leve op til kravene i den nye verden. Men også, hvorfor brands mister deres betydning, hvis de fortsætter med tomme løfter, og hvad hemmeligheden er hos dem, der gør det rigtig godt. Til at starte med fortæller Susanne McTire og Jamie Preto, hvorfor samarbejdet med Philips inspirerede dem til at skrive bogen. Philips basically came to us and said, you know, we want to be known as one of the most innovative companies in the world. At the same time, they were facing just real challenges in, you know, being seen as a maker of TVs, not really a maker of of big innovation. So it was a situation that normally you would spend hundreds of millions of dollars and years to communicate that idea of, of innovation. But in this world, you can't really do that. It's not effective anymore. So that's where this idea was born of, of behavior branding and brands that do. And the idea that if, instead of just claiming and speaking about the fact that they were innovation, that they needed to get out in the world and really demonstrate it. Well, and I, th- and I think one of the interesting things for us was there, there was a bit of an aha moment when we were briefed by the clients about their ambition And one of the things that we said to them was, what we shouldn't do is the typical kind of big business corporate brand launch, which is a statement of intent in the Wall Street Journal or the Financial Times, you know, a series of a print ad or a television ad that just says what you want to do, because that just felt a bit irrelevant and old fashioned. And and the aha was, you actually have a lot of interesting things you're doing as a company. You you are you are in a position to live this idea of innovation in you. So why don't we just go start and do those things, document them, and then amplify them to your customers, to your stakeholders, to your employees, to your consumers. And that's what really, really got us excited. And I remember, Susan, you and I were talking about th- this whole challenge. And I think we were sitting at uh, my desk and I said, you know, this is kind of like a, you know, this should be a behavior brand. And you said, oh, that's a great, yes, let's do that. That's really captures what we're trying to to give to them and so that was the genesis of of not just the campaign for Philips but the idea to write the book because Susan said there's a book in here there's all sorts of examples that we could bring to life can you tell a little bit more about that about the Philips example um yes actually what was really interesting is that the way they work is really using design thinking in all of their research and innovation which means they're not working behind walls or in labs they're out there in the world observing people and observing issues they have and needs they have. So one of the great stories that was sort of the first documented documentaries is in Uppsala, Sweden, where, you know, it's dark all the time and kids after school can't play outside. So Philips went in there and with their great lighting and light technology, lit up playgrounds after school for a number of hours and didn't just do that, but actually tracked the impact of that on the kids' sleep habits, their study habits, just the happiness level of families, what teachers thought about it. And in real time, you know, 
release that information so that you could watch the social experiment in real time. It was a risk because they didn't know exactly what was going to happen. But again, just going out there and, and, and again, creating the kind of engagement where the world is watching what you're doing instead of, you know, paying somebody for their attention. And one of the one of the most, I think, satisfying outcomes for Phillips was that it created such an emotional reaction among the employees that the chairman uh, Van Houten was really moved by that and said, we need much, much more of this. We need many more examples because it'll be incredibly meaningful for our people and our customers. And, you know, the other the other point to make here is, you know, when you talk about innovation today, so much of it is happening in, in the world of technology. And so, you know, so much of the way uh, innovation is presented is sort of, su- sort of super tech, futuristic. And for Philips to really stand out, part of who they are as a company is there's an extraordinary humanity and a heart, and they're all about sort of people and impact in the world and meaningful impact. And this way of, of, of bringing this to life was able to really set them apart from the kind of innovators that just throw a lot of technology at problems. So what you're saying is that you really need to know the core center of the company's identity in order to work like this. Yes, absolutely. Because it's just like a person. You watch how somebody behaves and you learn about who they are. So it, so it's true with companies. They're no longer big institutions and groups of people. I mean, how they live and act in the world really brings to life, you know, who they are and what their values are and what their DNA is as a company. I think most companies are actually pretty good at articulating their their mission statement, their beliefs, and their values, the I think that the bridge that we've we've created here is tr- taking that and turning it into acts out in the world that are relevant and meaningful for the people they're trying to reach. Can you tell a little bit about how this has changed over the past years? Yeah, I mean, I think you know more and more um, we're seeing other companies that are really embracing this way of you know, marketing and communicating, whether it's, uh, you know, brands like Adidas, uh, Whole Foods, you know, and then there are brands that aren't doing it, that are actually making missteps on it. So it, it's it's been very interesting now that we see the world through this lens to identify the people that are, are really doing it successfully. Um, another example, um, actually, uh, Jamie's really fond of, and so am I, is REI. So REI is um, one of the top outdoor sports um, equipment and clothing retailers in the U.S., originally started as a co-op in the Northwest um, and have spread throughout the U.S. And they have a very strong ethos that they've they've always lived, which is that, you know, they are there in service of the outdoorsman. Uh, What they did was really remarkable. They took one of the biggest, if not the biggest, shopping day of the year in the U.S., which we call Black Friday, the day after Thanksgiving that kicks off the holiday season. And th- on that day, everybody is open. And many, many retailers open at the stroke of midnight and you know create this mass uh, mayhem as people shop for items. And it's a huge day from a revenue standpoint for retailers. REI did something really incredible. They actually closed all their stores that day and put together an entire digital and traditional media effort to let everyone know, all their customers and the press, that they would be closed and they called it Opt-Out Friday. And what they asked all their employees to do that day and all their customers was to go outdoors. 
and go outside and enjoy the great outdoors because after all, that's the mission of REI. Now, the amount of earned media that they received from that, as well as goodwill from customers. And I think what was actually really remarkable about, remarkable about this was um, not just creating an act, which is very, very important and relevant and, and really the, the thesis of what we're talking about here today, but capturing it, documenting it, and amplifying it through all the right channels to get as much exposure as possible. So, you know, I, I think we want to be very clear about this. We are not saying just go out into the world and do things. We're saying combine old, you know, our, our traditional media approaches, which are still incredibly important in terms of getting reach and relevance, and combine them with the acts so you get as much exposure uh, as possible for what you're trying to do. And that creates a really new kind of interaction and relationship with your consumers. Yeah, yeah. So the actions are really like the engine, then create um, impact with, the, with those actions through, uh, you know, earned and, and paid and owned media. The other great thing about that example, actually, I think for IEI, is that you can imagine those employees are so loyal to that company because they've all of a sudden been giving their holiday weekend back. And, you know, that whole theme of, of inside company, outside company um, brings up an example of somebody who actually had a had a misstep on this. And it's a it's a very famous brand, Amazon. Um, you know, we think of Amazon as, a, as almost one of the original behavior brands because, you know, again, they spend very little in paid media. They use all of their money to uh, put back into the consumer experience so that they develop things like one click so that them, it's as easy peer recommendations so that your experience is is really what they invest in, um, not uh, paid, not as much paid media. But um, this past year, there was a, a big sort of expose about what the work culture was like at Amazon. And it was it was so dissonant and so discordant with what uh, Jeff Bezos has been talking about as the mission of the company, that it, it was a real example about, you know, today it's a transparent world and who, who you are and how you behave inside your company with your employees and your culture matters, you know, almost as much and sometimes more than what you're doing in the external world. And don't you think, Susan, that he, that Jeff missed missed an opportunity to actually rectify it and be able to say, Wow, this was really a shock. A shock. To me. Yeah, yeah, this was really a shock to me. Here, where I'm putting together a team, or I'm immediately doing these five things, and we are going to change X, Y, and Z. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. Because even, I mean, we've seen these in these moments of crisis. Everybody's watching you as a company and how you act. And those then define your brand for five to ten years. So that perhaps means that you have to work a lot closer with the company as well, because this is because you can't really predict when these things are going to happen. Um, yes, but also one of the things that we've always believed is when we roll out a sort of a brand idea or a brand strategy or platform that you don't start outside, you start inside first with your employees because it's most important that they are one of your greatest, you know, brand creators and brand makers. More than, you know, in the old world, they talked about employees as brand ambassadors. Um, I think in this new world, we like to think of them as brand makers. So, you know, every person at American Express that answers a, a customer call 
forms an impression of a brand. So that internal uh, constituency is incredibly important. Um, and then, you know, then you, of course, go out into the world. You're talking about the new world and the, the, the old world. And, and, and many companies, perhaps when they listen to this podcast, will say, well, we understand all this. But how do we get started becoming a company that, that does I think I think the starting point has to be whether it is at a corporate brand level or an individual brand level, you have to start with real clarity around what your point of view is, what it is that you stand for, what makes you different, um, and that will be the that's the starting line, that's the starting line that, that tells you and informs how you should then go out into the world. So, if you have a point of view as a brand or a corporate brand, you then have license and opportunity to now think differently and say, all right, so what can we actually do that is a proof point of this belief that we have and this point of view that we have in the world? So uh, I'll give you maybe a, a almost uh, surprising example, diapers. Um, one of our clients, um, Huggies at Kimberly-Clark, um, has a point of view that their products for newborns and then active babies are the second best thing to a mother's hug. And you can take that into an ad campaign and you can do visual mnemonics and jingles and taglines and we do all of that. But what's really interesting is that that thought then I think people get mobilized and excited about turning that into action and a great example of that is um, what our colleagues in Canada have done where they have partnered with hospitals to create a program called No Baby Unhugged. You'd be surprised how many babies are born either because they're premature or um, for whatever reason, there isn't someone there to hug the baby. So there is a volunteer hugging program that we've created along with um, hospitals in, in Ontario called No Baby Unhugged that is um, a wonderful expression and act that brings the brand's point of view to life because there is scientific research that shows hugs make a meaningful di difference in an infant's development, particularly in preemies. And that's something that the brand has done. Uh, and it's not about directly selling diapers. It's about bringing the point of view to life through a set of behaviors that consumers then say, these guys put their money where their mouth is. This is a wonderful initiative. And that's a brand I want to be associated with. What are the three most important things that companies should be aware of? Three things that they should start thinking about. Well, I think one would be, um, you know, traditionally you develop sort of marketing plans a year in advance and you figure out what you're going to do and then you measure it. And, you know, it's all um, sort of planned and, and scripted without much um, awareness of what's going on outside the walls and outside in the world. So I think you know, that's number one. Uh, think about marketing in much more in real time in today's world and be aware of what's going on in people's lives and culture and and respond to that as opposed to sort of outbound, sort of almost like an old military plan. And you can sort of test, you know, for, for any company out there, you can say, okay, let's look at our communications and, you know, put it up on the wall and say, can I walk the talk? Can I live this? Do Is this really who we are? Or are there things we're doing today as a company that are basically denying what we're saying because our actions are not 
consistent with what we're what we're saying. So I think that's a good test for us. An important piece of guidance on this is when you're going into marketing planning and setting up budgets. Why not really interrogate where you might be able to take money you've spent in one particular channel to say something, and dedicate it to at least a pilot, where you're doing something, doing and documenting, not just saying. And if you have a hundred dollars to work with, take twenty of them that were normally going into something else, and see what kind of result you might get. You don't have to go all in all right away. And as I said earlier, none of our clients do that. Our clients make this part of their overall marketing and communications planning. Would you be able to describe the consumers? What are they now compared to before? What kind of expectations do they have, and and uh, how critical are they? Consumers around the world have changed. They are different because, particularly because it's led by an, a new generation, um, of whether we call them millennials or that age group has grown up with a feeling around companies that they want to uh, do business with and be part of have to have values that they share. So they're very interested in knowing what a company believes in, what their values are, and what their practices are, to, and that influences whether um, they buy or work or, or support that company. I, mean, I know it's a bit of a cliche, but it really is true that the consumer is no longer a passive recipient of messages. The consumer meaning people, <laughs> all of us, are actively involved and, uh, and controlling much more of what we accept, what we consume, what we watch, um, and what we act on. Hvis du er interesseret i at få mere viden om, hvad der skaber brands, der gør en forskel, kan du gå ind på ukelvidt.dk slash thepipe og abonnere på vores podcast. Her finder du også Jamie Pretour og Susanne McTiers bog, Brands That Do, både som pdf og lydbog. 